This podcast covers all things health, your body, your brain, and your well-being. Each week, we'll be joined by doctors, as well as the occasional guest, to talk about the health topics that mean the most to you. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Social isolation and loneliness are risk factors for poor health outcomes and mortality. Possible contributors to social isolation are mobility problems, diminished hearing or vision, anxiety, depression, apathy, fatigue, and loss of loved ones. They occur in the general population and can particularly affect people with Parkinson's. However, not much research has been done in this area, prompting Dr. Indu Subramanian of the West Los Angeles Veterans Affairs Medical Center to conduct a survey among people with Parkinson's disease to investigate the association of social isolation with symptom severity and quality of life. She performed the survey prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, which made social isolation somewhat of the norm for many of us. In this episode, she discusses the findings of the survey and offers some ways that people may become more socially engaged. We looked at things that were beneficial for these patients in terms of their quality of life, and then we looked at things that were detrimental, and we noticed that actually loneliness was very detrimental to their health, and the types of things that were positive included exercise. And so the loneliness factor in these patients was as bad for patients uh, to be lonely as the beneficial effects of exercising seven days a week for 30 minutes a day was good for them. Do social isolation and loneliness affect people with Parkinson's in particular or more severely than other people of similar ages? Yeah, so I think the Parkinson's population is specifically at risk for this problem. Uh, Many of our patients do have some sense of a stigma with carrying the diagnosis. They have some motor issues like feeling immobile. Sometimes they may have tremor that might be embarrassing, might be embarrassed by dyskinesia, some of the extra movements that they get. And so may not go out of the home or be in social circumstances as much as people that are age-matched. Then you add on the non-motor issues that our Parkinson's patients get, and that is really something that can affect their ability to leave their homes and connect with other people. And so, you know, we have apathy, we have things like depression and anxiety, we have fatigue. A lot of these things can affect patients and their motivation to get involved in leaving their home and connecting with other people. Loneliness is really a feeling or a perception. So how do you define loneliness? What domains does it fall into or contribute to it? 
So that's a good question. So you know, we look at social isolation, which is something that's a little bit more measurable. We can see how many people a person may live around. We might be able to see who they interact with, and you can measure these things. Loneliness is really this subjective feeling, and what I've sort of grown to understand is that there's sort of this sense that you want certain types of relationships, you want certain types of qualities in relationships, and those may be different than the ones that you actually possess. And so it's this gap between the relationships that you have and the relationships that you want that really defines sort of this lonely feeling. The other thing that was kind of interesting is that I had always had the perception if somebody was married, if they were happily married, living in a home with somebody who cared about them, there was no way that they could be lonely and I didn't have to ask about that. And actually, what I learned through some of the research was that you actually have to have three spheres of connection in order to feel connected to people. And so there's a sort of intimate sphere of connection in which you feel you know, connected to perhaps a spouse. Then there's a second sphere in which you have friends, a circle of friends that can kind of have this relational kind of connection. And then a third sphere, which is more of a societal sphere, you have a connection of community, maybe through something like a like purpose, a like interest. I take care of veterans. A lot of veterans feel connected to the VA and other veterans. Women who are moms might be connected to similar types of people. So I think everyone has the need to feel connected in these three ways. And one can ask about these things specifically, um, help to understand who may actually be lonely. Why are people with Parkinson's particularly at risk for being lonely? The problem becomes that there's sort of the self-fulfilling prophecy. So um, you have patients who may be already withdrawing from society. Loneliness itself can affect health in general significantly. So we know from other research and other areas, loneliness can cause increased morbidity and mortality. So it's as bad for you to be lonely as smoking a half a pack of cigarettes a day or being obese. There's also research that shows that loneliness can affect stress, so it increases stress. It can affect sleep cycles. It can affect immunity. It can affect cognition. The way that it affects cognition is pretty profoundly. So people who are lonely, when you examine them, they tend to fixate on more negative stimuli. They tend to get quite ruminating on things over and over. And sometimes they sort of become paranoid um, if loneliness is left unchecked. And so when we think about a Parkinson's patient, we have patients who may at baseline feel disconnected because of what we've talked about. They may have a stigma, they may have motor and non-motor issues that cause them not to want to connect with other people. And then we add on the effects of loneliness, which can affect their cognition, their sleep. It can cause them to think bad thoughts, focus on negative stimuli, increase stress. And this can then impact other issues like their motor issues. It can affect their non-motor issues. And then it can be a bad cycle in which patients who are already at risk end up getting worse and worse. They then withdraw more and more and can really get derailed with some of their mental state, their cognition, their motor function, and non-motor function. And so really it's a population that's already at risk and we saw this data going into the pandemic and then we add on the pandemic of COVID with its uh, restrictions on social distancing and sheltering in place and this is really made us worry about this already at risk population. You published this study in Nature Parkinson Journal. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. 
Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. And you looked at a lot of symptoms and quality of life and uh, other measures related to isolation and loneliness, but you really didn't have a control group. These were people you were following. Is it possible that it's a case of reverse causality that some of these symptoms that limit their social interaction are causing the loneliness as opposed to loneliness causing an exacerbation of symptoms? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. That is one of the downsides of doing this type of survey. We have some data from non-Parkinson's patients at the effects of loneliness, and we see that this is something that can affect various measures of health. This has been seen in animal models in various types of age groups, isolated medical students in tests, and even aging populations. So we do know that loneliness affects health. You're absolutely right, though, that we can't tell in the Parkinson's population if what's cause and what's effect. We know that these things live together and that they can kind of compound each other. We have a figure in the data that is showing information about non-motor symptoms and it really shows that there are a number of non-motor symptoms that seem to associate with being lonely. And these things are things that you would predict would also compound the loneliness. So things like fatigue, things like poor sleep, things like anxiety, depression. So we can't really say what's cause and what's effect. We know that these things live together. Our conclusions do describe that these sorts of issues as confounding variables possibly. But I think when we approach the data set and sort of what we could proactively do, I think that many of the interventions that we would talk about could actually help both. So we were talking about ways that we can keep people engaged through proactive ways in social prescribing, trying to help them connect with people. We're trying to help them keep their wellness strategies in check. So trying to keep them exercising, keep them doing mind-body approaches, keep them doing many of the things that would help their motor and non-motor symptoms anyways. We're really just trying to increase awareness of this issue with neurologists who are treating Parkinson's patients, and not just neurologists, but really anyone who may be able to impact the day-to-day care of our patients. It might be you know, the clerk that checks my patients in at the front desk at the VA who might be able to have a chat and try to connect the patient with a resource. At the VA, we actually have a new social prescribing intervention. What they've done is they've taken people, uh, volunteers that used to physically come in to the VA, and those volunteers were told to not come physically into the VA and have been missing their own volunteerism and the benefits from that. They redeployed this volunteer force and have been soliciting new volunteers, which has gone very well, actually. And what they're doing is trying to match volunteers with like-minded or like-interested lonely patients and really have them connect either through digital modalities such as an iPad 
or maybe just old school phone calls because many of our patients are actually at risk for not having technology or not being technologically savvy, perhaps not having the funds to have good Wi-Fi or computer or smartphone, and really are being left out of the current modalities of telehealth or other proactive strategies to outreach if you're using a virtual support group, for example, or other things that require being able to operate a computer. So really, this is sort of getting a very simple strategy for um, just proactive phone calls to lonely patients. And I think that see what the benefits are. But I'm really excited because it can possibly have benefits not just in the patients themselves, but even in the volunteers as well. From what you describe, it sounds like clinicians have to sort of intuit that this person may be lonely, whether it's the person checking them in or a nurse practitioner or a movement disorder specialist. But are there actually any questionnaires or tools that could reveal this more directly? I guess the ultimate question is how aware are physicians of the need to detect loneliness? What we know in loneliness is actually that loneliness is a pretty high risk factor in many populations, and especially veterans, for suicide. So the VA has actually taken this quite seriously. And you asked about questionnaires. Actually, one of the questionnaires is a questionnaire that comes out of UCLA. There's a number of questions. I think it's about a 10-question questionnaire in its totality, uh, maybe 10 to 12. But I think you can take three questions out of that and actually have some yield. And so we're able to use these three questions to surveil patients. And, you know, my hope is to incorporate this possibly into the chart, the medical record, and have patients be identified. And it may not be that it's me as the movement disorder provider with the white coat. It might be their primary care doctor. It might be a social worker. It might be clerks or somebody else that can kind of proactively reach out. But I think it's very powerful sort of time frame that we're in that hopefully we can kind of take these things a little bit more seriously and put in the resources for care that probably have been needed for a long time. If a person with Parkinson's does feel lonely, what can they do now? Well, I think one of the things we really know is that patients aren't going to come to us and complain about it. That's not something that is part and parcel of something that they would think should be talked about to a neurologist. And the truth is, and I think Dr. Morthy, Vivek Morthy, who is our current Surgeon General of the United States, has done some amazing work. He wrote a book called Together, and he's really highlighted with some of his own anecdotes about his own life and his own loneliness through uh, middle school and high school about the effects of this on himself and talks about loneliness as sort of a societal pandemic. And this was a book that was written even before the current COVID-19 pandemic, but it's really sort of shone a light on the problems with expecting people to realize that this is a problem and complain about it. Because the truth is that being lonely is associated also with the stigma. You feel if if you don't have people in your life, that care about you don't have these relationships that probably you didn't deserve these relationships or maybe there's something unlikable about you and that's why you're lonely. And so a lot of people are embarrassed about this. They may not come forward. And so I think we have to normalize this conversation and normalize the sort of attention to this as part of the holistic approach to patients with not just Parkinson's disease, but health in general. And I think that, you know, I would hope that one could think about social connection as a basic nutrient, just like food and water 
and sunlight and shelter. I think this is something that we need as human beings. And I think so much of our lives have kind of gone away from this before. And I think the pandemic has been kind of a time when we've been able to reflect a little bit more on how important this is for human functioning. What have we missed or maybe nothing? Well, I think that we have, again, an opportunity. I've done some talking. I ended up actually getting a TED Talk invite within the VA system to talk about loneliness because I think people realize that this is something that is necessary to highlight. So, I mean, I think these things can be very powerful. We're all human. Even if I'm wearing a white coat, you know, all of these things can affect me just as they can affect you as can affect my patients and even their caregivers. So I usually end these talks by saying, you know, think about how you can affect change in your own community, perhaps connecting more with your neighbors, connecting more with the people that might have been forgotten, somebody maybe living up the street that lives alone that you know doesn't have anyone to check in on them, maybe drop them a note, leave your phone number, have a phone call, maybe reach out to somebody on your Christmas card list that you've forgotten about since high school. And I myself have done some of that during this pandemic time, and I think it's really been an amazing way to connect with people and really it's been a silver lining. So I think if you can make a change in your behavior, maybe reach out to somebody proactively, it may save somebody's life. You just never know, it's pretty amazing. Think outside that box. I think there's a lot of teenagers that are around that are possibly helping schedule vaccination appointments for patients right now that might've come out of the woodwork in their communities. And perhaps we can continue the dialogue with having teenagers that could be checking in on elderly. I know my oldest child is quite connected as the IT help desk supports his grandparents who live in Canada right now. And so it's part of their weekly check-in with their grandson and get all their devices fixed up. And also he gets to check in on them. So I think it could be a beautiful thing. Well, very good. Thanks for all the practical information. I'm sure it's going to come in useful for both clinicians and people with Parkinson's. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.